A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. Today, I have with me Ron Price. Ron, well, Ron is many, many things. Ron um, has been, you know, an executive coach and advisor, but, you know, you don't become a successful executive coach unless you've held some key positions. He's currently the president of TTI Success Insights, a global assessment company. If you've taken a disc at any point in your life or a number of other assessments, there's a, probably a good chance that it was run through, through Ron's company. Uh, he's also the author of a recently published book, uh, Optimizing Strategy for Results, something near and dear to my heart because it's about execution. Ron, welcome. Thank you, Chris. It's really great to be with you. It's, 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 it's so good to have you on the, the show. I'm really, really thrilled to have you here with us today. Um, you know, you don't get asked to be president of a company unless you're, you're, you're good at what you do. You're, you're an expert as, as we like to think about things here. And your path, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to date you. You've been around for a little little while, but you've done some really, really amazing things. I wonder if you'd share your story with our audience. I'll try to go through it quickly so that it's not boring. Um, I was a childhood actor. I actually fell in love with live theater when I was nine years old. I had a grandpa who had been in theater, and he inspired me to get involved. And um, I discovered as a teenager that I probably was never going to make it to Hollywood or Broadway. I just wasn't good enough. Uh, And I took an interest in directing, and I studied directing by a man named Konstantin Stanislavski, who was really the creator of method acting, a Russian director. And um, that led to something that I don't often talk about, but I had a a very interesting shift in my life where I had had sort of a nominal faith in God, but it wasn't very active and it suddenly became very active. And I suddenly cared about what was I created for? What was my purpose? And that's been um, an amazing journey, which first led to me being in business with my dad. We were in truck tire retreading together and I learned how to work hard. I learned how to change truck tires on the side of the highway in Michigan in January and February when there's lots of mud and snow and ice. And I learned how to serve people um, through the lens of business. But at the same time, I learned about business and I really fell in love with the way that you can blend your love for people, your love for execution or productivity, and your love for making a difference, for making an impact through business. During that time, I studied for the lay ministry. I was ordained as a lay minister in 77, and I spent nine years doing full-time church work where I wanted to help churches transform into being more objective and exercising more critical thinking skills. So I did a lot of strategic plans for churches, and I was also very interested in taking a deeper dive into what it means when we talk about people having talent. So I studied a lot of the different theories about talent. In um, 87, 86, I decided I probably belong back in the business arena. It just seemed like it fit me better. And uh, by 89, I'd become a senior leader at a company in Idaho that was doing nutritional products, novel nutritional products. Chris, my third day on the job as the VP of sales and marketing, our company got shut down by the FDA. Oh gosh, lovely. I was on on live newscasts that evening telling the three different local affiliates for the major news networks that we were going to kick the FDA's butt. And then I went and hired a very expensive attorney. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, we did win. The FDA was challenging us because we were importing something called Coenzyme Q10, which today you can buy in any drugstore in America. And we were were the front of the sphere for that battle. That's the Coke Q10. I mean, that's what what they talk about. You see all the supplements. Excellent. Absolutely. So I had 11 fantastic years. I eventually became the president of that company, and we grew our business in eight different countries. So I was dealing with developing new novel nutritional formulas, building international business where we were trying to transfer our culture, our values, our strategy to different countries. 
when I first started, we opened our first office in Taipei in 1991. There was no email. We did everything by fax machine. There were no websites. Oh, gosh. So You remember those old fax machines, too. It would take a half an hour for something to come across. Yeah. Well, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah. It, it was a privately held company. And in 2000, I decided it was time for me to retire from that. So I did. I started a coaching business in 2004. And um, I immediately was introduced to TGI Success Insights. And I thought, though there's no such thing as a perfect assessment, I thought the fact that they had a multi-science approach was interesting. And so in 2009, I um, took on the responsibility of being their master distributor for Greater China because of the past experience I had in Asia. In 2018, I always felt like I was Johnny Appleseed. It was my job to plant a bunch of seeds, but somebody else was going to grow it because I'm not Chinese and I don't speak much Mandarin. So in 2018, I retired from that. And I, um, during this time, my coaching business was called Price Associates. I was getting ready to back off and into retirement. I enjoyed writing. I had more writing projects I wanted to do. But in October of uh, 2021, TTI Success Insights asked me if I would come in and serve as the president of that company. And I believe so much in what they do and their people and their potential that even though a lot of people think I'm crazy doing it at my age, I said, yeah, let me give this a try. And it's been a wonderful journey so far. I'd have to say every one of those have been a continuing experience of transformation for me as a person. They've taught me so much about myself, and I've really been grateful to have the opportunity to ride along with several different organizations that have gone through this transformation experience. Sure, sure. And, and you know, I, I'll say you're not too old. I mean, it, it, to me, I, I don't, well, I, much to my wife's chagrin sometimes, I don't really believe in, in ever having a point where you stop working. I mean, it, you got to love what you do, though. I think retirement is is something that was created for people who just didn't love what they do, and they're just looking for that next transition point. So, you know, I've, I'm happy to see you continue to do it because your work on leadership has been so strong through the years, and now you have yet another opportunity to apply it directly as opposed to advising from the outside. Yeah, thank you. I, I, we could have an interesting discussion about retirement. I, I don't. I think that you don't retire if you still have energy, but you just shift your focus. And for me, the intention of moving toward retirement was to focus on my grandchildren. So we yeah. have six grown children and eleven grandchildren, and I always feel like I'm not giving them as much attention as I should be. Well, I think giving them the attention is a full time job, probably at that at that amount. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's just. Um, yeah, retirement's a funny thing. I, I just think of it as a transition point from going from something you're not passionate about to something that you are, and you fill your life with it. It's another transformation. And Chris, um, one book that I've not written yet, but I usually talk about a topic and think about it for five or six or maybe 10 years before I start writing. One topic for me is the leader's journey where I've identified seven specific phases that a leader goes through. Mm-hmm. And the seventh stage is the stage of celebration and reflection. Yeah. And, and so um, some of my mentors, I felt, should have moved into that stage, but they were holding on to their wonderful years of impact maybe a bit too long. I don't want to be guilty of that. I want to know when it's time for me to hand the baton to others sure. and to celebrate what, what life has brought. Sure. I, it's, it's an excellent, excellent point. Um, well, you've written a lot of books on leadership. H- how many now? What are we up to? Well, I've written nine books altogether, but really w- when I got focused on writing for the general public, it's five books that have been published since the early 2000s. Yeah. And again, for any of our listeners, if you just go to Amazon and, and put in Ron Price, you're going to see all of these. Um, you know, before we maybe move and start talking strategy, and I'd love to know how you're even applying some of it into the well, we'll call it the current career. Um, you know, as you consider some of your past books on leadership, what are some of your favorites? I mean, I, th- I find that authors always have favorite books and they have favorite theories they like to push. And I'd love to know what some of yours are. Yeah. And I wish I could say there was more design to it, but it was what was happening in my mind, in my heart. Um, first book that came out is Treasure Inside. 
23 Unexpected Principles That Activate Greatness. And this was a book that I wrote after I'd been working in a leadership role for 30 years. And I really wrote it for my children. I wanted to give them something that would say, this is what I found out was important in life. And the book is focused on personal development. It's focused on the leader within. And I developed these 23 principles that touch on uh, what I refer to as treasures of your mind. We have a great stewardship of what, how we develop our mind, how we use our mind, and then treasures of our heart. And this is about emotions and how we learn how to manage our emotions and our emotional intelligence. The third uh, section is on um, treasures of the body and how we take good care of ourselves. I was in that industry for many years from a nutritional supplement point of view. And then the fourth was treasures of our spirit and how we can continue to develop our sense of purpose and meaning in life. So that was the first book. And I wrote it for my kids. And then I joke that they won't read it. So I'm selling it to other people. Um, Have they read it? it, Yeah. Well, I've got six kids, so I don't know if I can answer that (laughs) unanimously. I'd have to go back and, I think probably they've all read it. Yeah, I wouldn't say that they've all agreed with everything I wrote, but that's part of the fun of reading is that you get to read an author's work in your own voice mm-hmm. and you don't have to agree with it. It's stimulating your thinking and that's what matters most. Um, so that was the first book. Second book was The Complete Leader, Everything You Need to Become a High-Performing Leader. I co-authored that with Randy Lisk, who was a close colleague and um We went through not just one bottle of wine while we were writing that book together. Um, What we wanted to do initially was create a a primer around 25 different leadership skills that executive coaches could use. Mm -hmm. But we quickly saw that there was this huge drought of leadership on the horizon because of this demographic shifts, because of the different perspectives of how we define leadership. So that book grew into a uh, leadership development program that is like an EMBA on leadership skills. And now a website called thecompleteleader.org, which is a community website that has over 800 resources on it, videos, podcasts, coaching guides, all kinds of things. And then um, an active membership where there are live events happening each year. I actually retired from that in December so that I could take on this new role. That was our second book. And, and we still, we were just in our fourth printing of that book. Um, the third book was The Innovator's Advantage, Revealing the Hidden Connection Between People and Process. I co-authored that with one of my colleagues, Evans Baya, who was in charge of the Innovation Group for Applied Materials for a number of years. He worked with 400 scientists around the world on patents and uh, new discoveries and innovations. And Evans brought tremendous expertise around the process of innovation. But my decades of studying talent helped us begin to think about how everybody's an innovator, but in a different way. Yeah. So one person is the idea generator. The next person is a great idea vetter. And we identified six different stages in the innovation process, and we created algorithms using TTI reports to identify a person's innovation fitness for each of the stages and to be very granular about what they could work on developing further if they wanted to grow their skills in one of those six stages. So that book also grew into a whole practice around innovation that Evans continues to lead today. And then um, that led me to a book called Growing Influence, Mm -hmm. a story of how to lead with um, character, expertise, and impact. I co-authored that with Stacey Ennis, who has been my executive editor for several books. And that was a business fable, which was a big risk for us to take. But I had a series of principles, nine principles around being a lifetime leader that I I didn't feel they would work well in a nonfiction setting. I felt they needed to be put into a story. And I'm so grateful that Stacy is a tremendous writer and um, she's the age of my daughter. And we found a wonderful collaboration together so much so that the book was named the, I say this with some embarrassment, but it was named the business fable of the year in 2019 for the United States 
And that book was very much a work of our heart as much as our head, and it continues to sell really well today. Um, and then the, the last book that you mentioned, Optimizing Strategy for Results, A Structured Approach to Make Your Business Come Alive, really is a result of, for many years, me having a love-hate relationship with strategy. Mm-hmm. I feel it's so important And yet I see so few companies do a good job of creating strategy and even fewer of executing well. And I often felt when I was doing strategy work with clients um, that I'd get into the middle of the process and feel like I was walking through a muddy field and every step I took got heavier. And at some point I couldn't go back to the beginning. I was too far. I just had to keep going. But I always felt like it just never quite finished, crossed the finish line with the kind of excitement and dynamism and results that we were looking for. So in this case, Evans Baya, who's done a lot of strategy around innovation, and a friend of ours named Tim Waima, who's a professor at the University of Nairobi in Kenya, and I all three co-authored this book. And again, we found magic in our collaboration together. That's excellent. What a, what a great story and, and great works. Uh, we, we've already come up on our first break, so we need to, to cut away for just a couple minutes. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back with Ron Price. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Ron Price. You know, Ron, uh, you were talking about your, your books that you authored before we took a break. And a quote came to my mind, one of Thomas Edison's quotes, especially related to this last one. He said, the vision without execution is hallucination. And, you know, clearly you've, you've seen some companies where there was serious hallucination going on. I have, I have seen the same. Um, it, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, listening to the different th- themes of your books, I mean, certainly a lot of leadership stuff. And, uh, you know, I wonder how much of those previous books almost gets incorporated when you start talking about executing strategies. So does a lot of that theory come through or did they all stand on their own? No, I, it's a great point, Chris. I think that they're all interconnected and it, probably at a larger level. All of these things are about leadership. Yeah. And in the book, Growing Influence, three of the nine principles that we bring out and, and develop are that a leader is a person who influences others. And if you have an impact on others, in some way, you're a leader. Of course, everybody thinks of a leader as having a title and a business card. But I think that the greatest form of leadership is just how you show up. We, mm-hmm. In Growing Influence, we refer to it as character leadership. And, and people watch you. And you maybe have more impact when you don't know you do than when you when it's conscious or you know that they're watching you. So anybody can be a character leader, even young children. 
the way they show up, the way that they govern themselves, the way they relate to other people, that's a demonstration of character. The second kind of leadership that we talk about is expertise. And this is where people follow you because of what you know or what you can do. This is certainly germane to strategy. Strategy is a, a discipline. It's a set of practices. And you can develop your expertise in such a way that people follow you because of what you know. In the book, we talk about how to get there, how to become a world-class thought leader. There's a very practical, logical way to get there. And then the third kind of leadership is the one that we're all familiar with, which we refer to as structural or positional leadership. Truth of the matter is people follow positional leaders because they don't have any choice. They have to if they want to be in the organization. Hopefully, positional leaders also have expertise and character so that it's easy to follow them. But, of course, anybody who's a citizen of the United States has had a president they didn't want to follow in the last 20 years. There's nobody who's thought all of the presidents of the United States were worthy of following. So we follow people in a position because we have to, because of the role that they play. So coming back to you can't talk about strategy without bringing those three things into play. Mm -hmm. Character, expertise, and position are all an important part of doing a good job of developing strategy. And for us, one of the reasons we want it, we, we never want to write a book unless we have something to say that we don't think anybody else has said. And one of the big things that we wanted to talk about is how people fit in with strategy. And again, you have different phases or stages in the process And if you understand what makes people unique, you can organize them in ways that give you a strong team so that you're going to be a lot more successful, especially on the execution side. Sure. Sure. I, you know, the right people, right seats. Um, you know, obviously as president of TTI, um, you guys are utilizing, um, well, you guys sell, um, you know, assessments that allow people to, um, you know, identify strengths and, and can, can create, you know, position. Uh, one of the questions I've always had is, is when I, when I look at it, so I've taken a disc a number of times, you know, as, as a Guinea pig and, um, my D is usually pretty high off the, the charts, but my others kind of can move around a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm a little, as, as I would say, closer to the line. Um, over time, you, you know, so, so the snapshot today and, um, what, the person's right strengths and, and fit are could be different a few years from now. I mean, and how do you, how do you manage through that? I first want to back up and just describe the assessments in general. Their, their greatest purpose is they capture our self-concept. Yes. So when our self-concept changes by nature, the assessment should change. Right. If, if it doesn't, it's not a good assessment. All it's doing is taking a snapshot of how you see yourself And uh, there's no question that we all have the ability to change our self-concept. How many of us work at it? How many of us actually decide what the ideal self-concept is and how to build that kind of belief structure and that kind of a behavioral pattern? It's possible. And to the extent that people recognize that and do it, they'll see a change show up in their assessments and their utility or their value to an organization is going to grow as they grow. Mm-hmm. We, we have a huddle three mornings a week with the company now where we spend 10 minutes together in the morning, just touching base. And I often will bring a little reflection of what I've been thinking about this morning. We had our huddle and my comment was that I've come to the realization that no organization can ever be great if its people aren't great. It is the character and the expertise of the individuals that make up that organization that create the organization's potential. So, so as we grow our understanding of ourselves, as we deepen our understanding of ourselves, our value to the organization can grow as well. And that's very true in strategy. In strategy, it's a combination of how am I developing my character around self-management and personal accountability and um, my commitment to goals and things like that. And how am I developing my expertise in understanding how to do good futuristic thinking, understanding how to define and clarify and solidify the foundations of strategy and the decisions that we make and then how we plan for the execution, how we monitor that execution and keep improving. This is all done by people. It's not done by a company company. 
And so as we grow ourselves, which starts with our self-concept and who we want to become, we grow our capacity for strategy. Sure. Now, it seems to me, though, that that also presupposes that people want to grow. And I think a lot of people do. And yet, you know, I've gone into companies, I know you've gone into companies where you you do have that group of people that don't want to change. They want to stick with their status quo. They don't want to go any further. And sometimes that's perfectly fine. Um, the problem comes into play, I think, when you promote people beyond that that place, right? You, you take them. But, you know, you can have an A player sergeant in an army who will never be anything more than a sergeant, and that's okay. Nobody said that every sergeant has to be a general. Um Yet there are sometimes that other group of people that almost become block. How do you deal with those people? Well, no company is going to have uh, all superior performers. And there's some research that's been done around talent management that says the typical company only has about 5% of their employees that are truly superior performers. The real question is how many people do you have that want to be B performers? And a big part of our message and growing influence is you get to choose what kind of character you develop. You get to choose what kind of expertise you develop. And I don't really believe that any more than a very, very small percentage of people doesn't want to grow. I just think a lot of people have been put to sleep. Oh, that's good. The culture that they're working in the, the uh, kind of conversations that they're having both at home and at work, these things have lulled them to sleep, but I rarely find very many people that can't be awakened when you begin to explore their potential and you begin to explore their potential by just exploring what's unique about them. Uh, and I, I just want to find out what's at the beginning. I want to find out what's unique about their upbringing, what's unique about their parents or their grandparents. I haven't found anybody who doesn't have a story that they start to get excited about when you express a genuine interest in them. What does put people to sleep is when they think that we just want to use them as part of an assembly line. We just want to use them for our goals and we don't really value them as a unique human being. So when you first came into TTI back in, in October, did you spend time, you know, doing just that exploration? Did you know some of these people already? I did know some of them, but Chris, before I was willing to accept the position, I said I wanted to interview every employee in the company. So I spent a month, uh, it was probably six weeks and all day long, I was doing one hour interviews with people. And I would start by asking them, why do you work here? What is it that makes you stay here? Because today we have choices. Then I'd ask them, what is it that you think is your greatest strength? And my third question was, when do you experience flow? Flow is this sense that time and space stand still because I'm so fully engaged in the present. And, um, and then I would ask them, what's the one weakness that if you could fix anything you'd want to fix? My next question was, what, what, if we, what were we doing in the past as a company that we've drifted away from? And what are we doing exceptionally well today? And what do you think is missing? These are the kinds, and I would just ask those questions and let those questions lead our conversation for where we would go. I was astounded at how much talent I discovered, how many people knew what they were good at when they were asked the simple question, how many times do we sit down with somebody and say, when is it that you experience flow? Uh What is it that you think you're really great at? And I found such diversity of talent and skill that it inspired me. And and that really, I don't know how you start leading a company without getting to know the, the people first. Well, it's, it's amazing though. I've seen a lot of people try it and, you know, and then they're, they're six months later, they're trying to figure out, is this the right person, the wrong person? And they never set, set things up to begin with. Um, but it's not just for people who are going to step in and lead a company. It's, it's anybody who's stepping into any team. You know, look, even if your team's well-established today, why not take the time and, and do it? It's, you know, we, we always introduce this thing. We, we, we want, um, we want teams to start their meetings with what we call good news check-in. And everybody thinks it's, oh, it's just this feel-good moment, right? And and I sometimes get pushback and people say, do we still have to do this? We've been doing this a long time. You know, I just don't want to share this stuff. Well, 
well, one, it, it, it's an indicator of the level of trust on a team, which you have to have. But two, it allows for that connection. It allows for that, that, that deeper piece to actually come into play. And teams that function highly all are able to connect at that level. And I can, I can tell you, if I, if, if I would name names, I could. You know, the teams I work with, the ones who, who do it, do it right, get to know each other, get to know that deeper stuff, understand people's strengths, they outperform the teams that don't do this stuff. And the teams that don't do this stuff always have some level of dysfunction that they're complaining about. It's like, you don't want to do the work to come you know, to come together. You don't want to do the work to, to be a team. You just want to complain about not being a team. You can't have it both ways. I think that's brilliant, Chris. You're reminding me of a cliche that Dale Carnegie shared, which cliches are there because they are sticky because they, we remember them. And I don't know how many times I've come back to this in my own mind. He said, you gather more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. That's right. And I, I think that's about that check-in about something good that's happening. And of course, at a more academic level, the study of appreciative inquiry, mostly at Harvard and at the University of Pennsylvania, has demonstrated that organizations that build their teams around the positive and around leveraging strengths outperform the teams that spend their time criticizing each other. Yeah, there was a there was a great research study done by, I, I wish I could remember who did it now because I, I saw this, this was about 20 years ago. I know it was just before I left my, my last organization. It really struck me. And what they did was is they took they took a couple of groups of people and they they actually triggered certain emotional responses in them. And then they gave them a problem to solve. And so group A, let's say, were triggered with adrenaline. And group B were triggered with serotonin. So the A group would watch 20 minutes of a high action film or a, or a scary film or a tearjerker. You know, all these negative emotions that trigger adrenaline. And um, the second group got to watch a comedy for 20 minutes. And the group that watched the comedy, the serotonin response, because it would trigger that, solved the problem anywhere from two to five times quicker every single time, 100% of the time. 100 Isn't that amazing? And, That's amazing. Yeah, and and there is something to this feel-good part of it that, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I think our society just, it's weird. It's like we want to avoid things that feel good. We, we look for the bad. And yet, if we can trigger that creative state, it's so much more productive for all of us. And, of course, we're talking today about strategy. That comes into play so well. You know the phrase that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. And, and we don't think that. We think culture should ignite, should energize strategy. They should be in alignment with each other. And that's how you get there, what you've just described. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I always said I've always hated that culture eats strategy for breakfast. You need both, right? Culture enables strategy is what it does. It yes. enables execution of the strategy. And that's the part that we need to put our time and, and effort into. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, and you know, another thought that you had me thinking about, we were talking about leadership just a minute ago when you talked about character of leader. And we've only got about another minute for the break, but I talk a lot about the difference between a leader and a manager. And, and, and we've all said the cliche also, leadership is not a title. You know, I, I believe that leadership is a choice. It's a choice that you make, and it does, it requires some level of respect. So you can be a manager. The manager has the title, has to demand, you know, performance, demand tasks be done, et cetera. But if they're a leader, the ability to do things becomes expansive because they can really tap into the energy of those around them as opposed to just forcing a group of people to do what they say. Yeah, and just before we go to break, leadership is influence. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Yeah. But anytime you're influencing people, you're leading in one way or another. That's absolutely right. Well, we are at our next break. So we're going to take a couple minutes and we'll come back. We've got one more segment with Ron Price. So everybody stay tuned. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real world advice on culture, leadership and execution. See you there. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. 
At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. It's time to transform your business with the help of the execution culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture leadership and execution the execution culture available now on amazon this is transformative experts with chris elias if you have a question or a comment about the show please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. now back to transformative experts and we're back one last time with Ron Price. So, so Ron, uh, you know, I want to shift to this concept of strategy. And I think about, you know, back in my corporate days, and I'm going to go back probably close to 30 years now, when I first started getting involved in, in strategic planning. And strategic planning in the 19, late 1980s, early 1990s is very different than the way I think about it today. As a matter of fact, we don't often use the term strategic planning anymore. It was this event. It would happen once a year. Um, you'd hire a company and they come in and you spend three days together and they disappear for a couple of weeks and they drop a binder in your lap. Here's your strategy. Do this and everything will be great. And by the way, that was 40,000 bucks. We'll see you next time. Right? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's how it was. And then, and, and it's funny because we'd all be really excited about it for a few weeks. And then of course the daily routine comes into play, right? And you get into the daily fire. It's before you know it, the strategic plan is sitting on your bookshelf or worse yet, it's, it's holding the door open on the floor. And, um, and the next time we looked at it would, was always, you know, just a few weeks before the next strategic planning re- meeting it was like, oh crap, do we get our stuff done? Right. And then you celebrate all this stuff that got done, but it wasn't necessarily the things that took the company forward. I mean, that was a very common thing for companies 30 years ago, but things have changed. And, and the model that you're sharing in your book, very near and dear to my heart, is, is very, very tied to, to a bigger picture strategic approach. And I don't want to give it away. I want to turn it back over to you. But, um, but I'd love you to share your thoughts on what I'm, what I'm putting out there and um, share your thoughts and and. and belief system on how strategy should be in organizations. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Well, first of all, it's interesting to ask people to define what they mean by strategy, because there are a lot of different definitions out there. And to put it in layman's terms, I think of strategy is a commitment to move from some situation that you're at today to some better situation in the future, and the development of clarity and discipline in order to execute that successfully. And if you're comfortable with where your organization is today, there's no reason to have strategy. Strategy is because there's some level of discomfort that you want things to move to a different place. So when you start from that paradigm or that assumption, then the pathway becomes more than just an event like the three days that you experienced. It becomes a process but it becomes a process that continues on and on and you're building capacity for strategy over time. Most people will call us and say, do you do strategic planning? And I, I want to not be in their face, but my resp- what I'd like to respond is, no, we don't. We do strategy. Yeah. And yeah. strategic planning is just one small part of it. So we identified in the work that we did, and Tim Waima, the professor from the University of Nairobi and Evans, by, by the way, they have so many postgraduate degrees, I can't even keep track of them all. Right. But, um, and then that's not me. I've always been a practitioner, not an academic. But we, we identified seven distinct stages that you move through in building strategy as a capacity. And then we thought about how do you organize activities around that so that people don't think of strategy as being something that's developed in an ivory tower, but it becomes a dynamic part of the organization's ethos. And then how do you execute it in a way where people don't feel that they're being acted upon, but they feel that they're being partners in 
the execution of a strategy. So we start with stage one is establishing the foundations of strategy. And we like to use that word foundations because if you've ever watched a skyscraper being built, it takes an awful long time to get that foundation built properly. You've got to dig deep. It's strength and its stability is key to what you're going to build on top of it. As a matter of fact, in today's world, oftentimes you're going to replace the building, but you don't replace the foundation. And um, Henry Mintzberg, who I'm sure you're familiar with, wrote the book, The Rise and Fall Strategic Planning. I think he captured what a lot of people were feeling. As you said, in the 80s and 90s, everybody thought, well, you just get this plan and it's a fairly static plan and now you go execute it. In the the first decade of the 2000s, people said, oh, the world's changing way too fast to even do strategic planning. So it was all about opportunism. It was all about agility. And Henry Mintzberg, when he wrote the book, said, you know what? You need a little bit of both. So for the foundations, you need stability. But for the rest of the building, you realize you're going to be remodeling it as life continues to unfold. So what are the foundations? We define the foundations of strategy as purpose, values, and vision. And we we differentiate purpose from mission. Mm-hmm. So we think is. purpose is why you exist and why you should exist for the next hundred years. That's the, we're doing that right now in our exercise at TTI success insights, we're revisiting that. And with purpose, we're looking at three different data points or uh, points of context. The first is listening to the founder's story, the originator of the organization. Why did they start it? And the originator of TTI Success Insights, Bill Bonstetter, who passed away in 2016, probably the best way to capture it for him was he started the company so people could understand themselves, understand others, and appreciate the differences. That was really the core reason why he started it. That was a business. He wanted to make money. But the money is the end product of doing something of value, delivering value to people. We distinguish that between mission and we define mission as the combination of your purpose and the context of your current circumstances, which is largely influenced by your customers. So what are your customers' needs that you're seeking to address or that you're seeking to resolve? So we start with purpose. I, I mentioned three points. The first point is the founder story. The second point is what do we hear people saying about us right now? What are people telling us our purpose is right now? I've heard some wonderful things like human insights that help people help change the world one person at a time. I've heard um, we, we provide assessments that help people get to that place they want to be faster. I've heard we provide assessments so people can skip the dating and get right to the marriage. <laughs> <laughs> And in fact, we were involved in the founding of eHarmony many years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's the second point. Then the third point is, so why do we deserve to be here 100 years from now? And um, what do we want people to be saying about us 100 years from now? So this is purpose. Second is values. What are the three, four, five things that we want to organize around as our corporate character, mm-hmm. as the definition of how we govern ourselves as an organization and how we relate to other people, mainly customers. And I like culture to be defined in three different dimensions. Yeah. I like it. I like it to be defined in the context of purpose that we've already talked about. I like it to be defined in the context of people and how we're going to interact with and serve people. But I think that it also should be defined through the lens of performance. Yeah. What does superior performance look like? How do we measure it? How are we thinking about it? And our values should be a broad statement that addresses all three of those dimensions or a broad set of statements. And then the third is vision. And in today's world, vision is, you have to realize that we live in a VUCA world, a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world. So vision needs to be broad strokes. And there are a lot of different ways that we've experimented with getting to that. Uh, Oftentimes, and we describe this in the book, we get people to look back 20 years and say, what did their organization look like 20 years ago if it existed? And what changes have impacted it over those 20 years? Because it's easier to remember backward than it is to imagine forward. And then once they've done that, we say, okay, now let's look at the next 20 years. 
and and we introduced some ideas like flying cars and organ farms that grow new hearts for us based on our DNA. And um, we, we talk about some of the visions that other companies, you know, Uber has a vision that they want to be able to provide transportation to anybody on the face of the earth. That's their long-term vision. Mm-hmm. So they're talking about Uber bicycles, Uber trains, Uber sky cars or flying cars that are autonomous to planes, they're they're talking about the whole gamut because their vision is to provide transportation for every person on the planet. And maybe, I can't, maybe today it even says and beyond. So we want them to look forward 20 years and ask the question, what are people going to be saying about us 20 years from now? And what are our employees and their families going to be saying about us 20 years from now? So it's so interesting Chris, because when you've done this for a while, like you and I have, I can go back and look at plans that were written 20 years ago, and I can look at how much they were able to identify what the future was going to be. And it's amazing to me that even though they couldn't see the future, their vision actually fit. Yep. They came up with something that became more relevant than they knew it was at the time that they created it. So it's purpose, vision, and values are stage one, preparing the foundations for strategy. Yeah, those are the three legs. I mean, we, we say the same thing. You got you to have, have it all. And, you know, you got to have that foundational part of it. Um, I've often said that, that strategy needs to ask all the common questions. Who, what, when, where, how, and why? But if you think about it, the most important questions, probably the base questions are who, and that's the people, in and out, and your core values dictate that. The why, which is the purpose. I, I always thought that, that a purpose statement, to me, it's, it's maybe it's psychology, but a purpose statement was way more powerful than a mission statement. I'm not talking mission. I'm talking the marketing version of mission statements that came up, which said, our mission is to create a da 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 And what, what that always did for me, psychology, is said, okay, you know what? Um, this is what we're trying to do, but we haven't done it yet. Come with us. Maybe we'll pull it off or whatever. But if you just change a couple of words and say, we exist to do this, now it goes to, wait, oh, this is why they do it. I, I think the, the, just the energy just changes when, with, with that simple concept of sh- shifting to purpose. And then the what is the mission? You know, what are you yeah. actually really trying to do here? Right, right. I agree. And as I started off saying, the foundation takes a long time. Yes. This, actually, if you've not done this work, you have to do it. And a lot of companies want to just get together for a day or two days or three days and they've got their plan. This takes time. This is like, this is like aging a fine bottle of wine. You do not uncork it right away. You've got to give it time and it's more work of the soul than it is of the head. Yeah. So you, you get through that. Now you can move to stage two and we call stage two building strategic intelligence. So it's the traditional look at what are our strengths and what are our limitations internally and what are our, our opportunities and what are, what are our challenges externally. So we go into a lot of detail here using a lot of the thought leaders over the history of strategy development. Um, for strengths and limitations internally, we look at um, how clear are we about who we are? How realistic are we about where we're at today? Are we living a a hallucination? Are we living in a dream world? Or are we pretty clear and aware of who we are? We actually use emotional intelligence as a metaphor for developing strategic intelligence. So first it's about organizational awareness and realism. Then it's about organizational discipline. Do we have good systems in place? You know that when an organization grows, it puts stresses on their processes and their systems and their structure. So do we have the kind of structure in place and systems that can bear the weight of growth? And then the third thing that we look for strengths and limitations in internally is what we call organizational energy. And this is parallel to motivation and emotional intelligence. So what's the voltage of our organization is one of the ways I've heard it described. How how much alignment is there between people's individual sense of purpose and the organization? And and what's our level of engagement with people? So we look at strengths and limitations in these three dimensions. Are we realistic? Do we have good structure and systems in place? Do we have a high level of engagement and energy? Then we look at the external um, opportunities and challenges. 
that's even more complex because first mm-hmm. we're looking at the hard trends. I don't know if you've read Daniel Burris that his book, The Anticipatory Organization, is a wonderful book. Yeah, yeah. We, we look for the trends that are very predictable, like demographics. And there are many trends that we can take to the bank. And then we look for the soft trends. This may or may not happen. And then we look at our current customers and who doesn't do business with us and why don't they do business with us. And so we utilize the Blue Ocean, um, mm-hmm. the book Blue Ocean Therapy to pull tools from there. And then we go into understanding the five competitive forces from Michael Porter. So we're borrowing the best practices that exist out there. And then um, we're looking again at both what are the opportunities and what are the challenges you know that the traditional way of describing this is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Right. But because of what you said earlier about us taking a positive approach, for us, it's strengths, limitations. We don't know if it's a weakness till we have our strategy, mm-hmm. opportunities, and instead of threats, we're calling them challenges. Yes. And it, it opens up a bigger horizon of possibilities that way. So we're, we're creating, and what we do is we break down into these subgroups that study each of these different things and bring back reports to the larger group. Yeah, and and the psychology behind it is so incredibly important, and it's horrible. But we're out of time. Yeah, I, you know, it, it, we, the time goes so fast. Oh, that was intentional, so that people would have to buy the book. Yeah, and that's that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking, right? I mean, you know, it's it, it really is a great book, and you know, and people should buy it. You know, there's so much in it, and it, again, you know, I said at the beginning how excited I was to have you on the show, and it's because. M- philosophically, you know, our, you and I line up very, very well in, in how we do things. And, and, you know, between us, we've worked with so many companies and done so much work, both internal and external, and this stuff works. And so, you know, for the listeners out there, the new book, check out any of his books. They're all great. But, but the new book again is Optimizing Strategy for Results. Ron Price, um, available on Amazon. Ron, you know, thank you for being with us today. Hopefully I can have you back on and maybe after the book's been out, maybe the next book, um, we'll, we'll get together and even talk some more. Thank you, Chris. It's been a real pleasure for me. It's been so nice having you too. Okay, everyone. Well, thanks again for listening and stay tuned. We've got some more episodes that um, you'll enjoy coming up um, soon in the next few weeks. So until then, hope everything goes well for you. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.